Revelation chapter 1, we will likely get into chapter 2. This past week, have you any of you had any thoughts about what we went over last week? you have any questions before we begin? I'll offer you an opportunity to ask questions later as well, but just wondered if you had any questions about what was heard last week. Hmm. 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 Okay. That must mean you're all A students. Yeah, Yeah, we certainly can see Babylon. Yeah. We'll see too much of it. You know, I was just... Things on television commercials. They are uh, just the things they are advertised. I'm ready to go back to the Marlboro Man and Budweiser beer. I would rather see those commercials than what we're seeing today. <laughs> okay. Um, Remember last week we talked about the context of the history of history that uh, John lived and preached during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, and as we looked at that, there was some references that both John and Peter made regarding Rome. The code word for Rome was Babylon, and we looked at the immorality in Babylon, particularly by a series of emperors that ruled during that first century um, and how persecution had begun during the reign of Domitian and as John preached against this man's corrupt rule Domitian had him banished to the Isle of Patmos, a prison of just a big rock in the Mediterranean wasn't much there then there's more there now but uh, John had to have his food and needs brought to him by people in the church and he very likely had to fend for himself some from other prisoners Uh, there was a garrison of Roman soldiers to keep people from trying to escape from the island but if they were able to escape it would be a long swim Revelation chapter 1, we're going to begin by reading a little bit here and then try and move quickly. I'll have some comments as we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And we remember last week we talked about how that word angel could mean angel, it could mean messenger. Don't forget that because we'll get back to that in a little while if it comes up again. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. 
Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for time is near. Uh, Since it was already designated that these seven churches were to be the recipients of this letter, of this book, there was very little time for the scribes to copy enough letters to get to all the church members, so this was to be read aloud to the churches that are mentioned. That's what's talking about here. God, through the Holy Spirit, is telling John to let these know, this is a special blessing for you. Receive it. Take it in. Deal with it. Now, we as modern-day Christians can read this and and don't focus in on verse 3. Understand why it was there for them and then realize that it's there are implications for us too. When we read what is in these lessons, in these books, in these chapters, we need to have the discernment to understand what's there for us. Why is it good for our day? Why is it good for countryside? Why is it good for the Reformation? Revelation 1.4 John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now John, on the Lord's day, in the spirit. He's probably been doing some fasting. He is praying. And the Lord himself appears to him. We'll get into that in just a moment, but that's what's going on here. A personal vision. I don't want to call it a vision. I, I am convinced the presence of the Lord was there. He wasn't seeing a view of heaven. I believe the Lord was there with him. That's, it's not theologically mandatory that you believe that. But his descriptions are so specific. 
Yes, sir. Well, once he gets this written down, how is he communicating with the churches from this island? Once he gets this written down, when people come to bring him food, he sends his letters out with them. He had support from the other churches. He just couldn't leave the island. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like the burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. I have to pause here. I've... I've meditated on this passage many times before because I wanted to imagine what it must have been like for John to be there. And I heard someone's voice that sounded like trumpets. And then here he says, his voice was like a roar of many waters. You've all heard of pipe organs. You've all heard them, haven't you? They have a bank of stops that are called trumpets. And you can make those things sound like a roar, or you can make them sound like a blaring announcement. But it also makes me think that once we get to glory, I don't think everybody's going to be speaking English. We're going to speak God's language. And it's really, we have no idea what it's, I am convinced it's going to be musical. That's just me. We can't sing worth a hoot here on earth compared to what we will there. So he comes to John and his, his, he announces himself and it sounds musical. And it's loud. It gets his attention. He turns and he sees seven golden lampstands And then one like the Son of Man. I know you've heard that before, Son of Man. It's a reference to the Lord Jesus. Anybody have any idea what it means? When they're talking about, when the Old Testament was prophesying the Messiah, the coming of the King of Jerusalem, everyone knew he would be a human. They... they, They didn't think it was going to be somebody from heaven, or at least they didn't understand it that way when he got here. But throughout the Old Testament, they kept describing the coming of the Messiah as the Son of Man. It spoke to his humility. It spoke to his human birth. It spoke to his... It also spoke to his authority. As he claimed to be the Son of Man, he referenced his authority as the Messiah, the King of Jerusalem, the King of Israel. You remember the account of the paralytic man who was lowered down through the roof? He 
he healed the man just with the spoken word. He, no, wait, excuse me. He forgave the man his sins. And the Pharisees and the theologians in the room got very upset. He has no authority to do that. And his words to them in response, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You need to see what Christ is calling himself here. He's calling himself the Messiah. The humble born son of man who would deliver Israel. Rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And that just flew all over them. I turned to see the voice, back in Revelation 1, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. Powerful description of the Lord Jesus, glorified. Ascended, perfected. John also writes in one of his epistles describing the Lord Jesus, as he is, so we shall also be. I don't know how far to take that. If when we get to glory and after the resurrection we receive our glorified bodies, will we have flaming eyes and Legs like bronze? I, I don't know. But if you look back in Daniel chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. Daniel, at that time in his life, you recall the history of Israel. Jerusalem had been conquered and taken over by Babylon. And Daniel had been spending some time fasting in prayer. In Daniel chapter 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the white clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That's not the one I was looking for. I apologize. Ah, thank you.
Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or, no, or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three weeks were fulfilled. No one of the, now on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold and with the gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Sound familiar? Jesus Christ is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. He, he didn't come into existence when he was born in the manger. What we see in Daniel is an event of the pre-existent Son of God before he took on human form. Does that make sense? So, John is seeing the same person. He describes it as the man who is and who was and who shall always be. And he's come with a message about what has been, what is, and what shall come to pass. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord of history. And you need to understand that this message of Revelation encompasses all of that because that's what he's talking about. And if we can get that into our understanding, we can kind of take away... There's mystery here. There's still secrets in Revelation that John is forbidden to share, but there's enough here that we can understand and settle our minds and our hearts and know, yeah, that's supposed to happen. God has already ordained, ordained it to happen. It's going to come to pass. It's coming to pass before our eyes, and we can rejoice to know that God's word is true. Verse 8 of Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Wait a minute. Um, verse 17, I've already read most of that. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Hallelujah. We know what he's talking about. He's already identified himself. I am the Redeemer. I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, that those who are 
those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now let's pause here for a moment. You remember we talked about that word for angel can also mean messenger. I've not... I heard Harry Reader a few years ago mention that he's done some work on studying this. He believes that the angels of the seven churches are the pastors of those churches. I thought that was an interesting thought. I've not been able to read anything he's written or hear anything he's preached on it or taught on it, but I just kind of pursued that idea. Um, so if I've guessed right, and it's more than a guess because there's been some study here, then I give him all the credit. But if I get it wrong, I'm the heretic. Christ had seven stars in his hand, and he was walking among seven golden lampstands. The stars were the angels of the church or the messengers of the church or the pastors of the churches. The seven lampstands were the churches. Seven lampstands represented the divine call given to the churches. If you remember Matthew 5.14, Sermon on the Mount, the Lord told them, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and get and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christ was not talking to individuals. He was talking to the church as a whole. So here again, he is in Revelation and each church is a lampstand in that city. And each church has a messenger or pastor who is responsible for preaching the truth. We remember during Jesus' time while he walked this earth, he spoke about preaching to the Pharisees and the corrupt theologians of his day. He spoke to them about the Old Testament prophets that they killed and rejected and was Stephen the first one of the first deacons preaching his final message before he perished by stoning you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the holy spirit as your fathers did so do you which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels, messengers, and you did not keep it. I don't know why the translators would sometimes translate the word angelos, messenger, and sometimes translate it angel. I don't know why. But they're the same word in the original language. 
there were faithful prophets in Israel. We know that we have scripture. There's a few writing prophets there in our Bible. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 reminds that church of Elijah's day. Do you remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he challenged the prophets of Baal to show the power of their God and he would show the power of his? And they tried to offer a bull for a sacrifice and they cut themselves and they danced and they pronounced incantations and nothing happened. The flies started to collect on their sacrifice. Then Elijah had his offering prepared and he had servants just, all right, it's ready to go. You got the, all right, dump water all over it until it filled up a trough all the way around and then Elijah began to pray and fire fell from heaven and consumed the consumed the offering. Elijah was not only vindicated, Elijah was given the authority to have all those prophets of Baal executed. God's judgment was pronounced upon them. And then Jezebel wanted Elijah killed, so he ran and hid. He was terrified. We'll talk about that another day. There's a lot I'd like to say about that. But Paul reminds us of the words the Lord shared with Elijah when Elijah complained to him about fear of his life. Romans 11, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, who, how he appeals to God against, against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished our altars, and I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 1 Kings 19. messengers of those seven churches are represented by the stars the Lord holds in his hand. Faithful passengers, excuse me, faithful messengers, faithful pastors. You might argue, isn't it pastor's responsibility to keep the church faithful? Yes. But if you look at Scripture with open eyes, you see more and more how churches, how congregations, how the people wander astray, dragging the pastors or the prophets with them. There are many preachers are human. They, they, want, they want some sign that whatever they do, whatever they preach, or however they minister to their congregations, they want 
they need some sign that what they're doing is worthwhile. And will people start resisting them or will people start going away because of what they preach? There are a lot of pastors who will buckle and they will preach to make the people happy. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. Like the Apostle Paul, they're supposed to preach the word faithfully. And the people in the congregation are supposed to respond faithfully, properly, appropriately. But I've got to tell you, I've been in ministry long, and I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not talking about countryside. I spent five years in Alabama before coming here. And I learned there that sheep bite. You make, you make the one person in a congregation mad enough, not intentionally, just make that one person mad enough, they will let everybody in town know. And the church dies. Seven pastors, faithful ministers to the seven churches of Ephesus. And yet something went wrong. Sheep often rebel. Sheep frequently reject the message. And it's not always the pastor's fault. More often it's the disobedience of the flock. Um, let me see if I can get myself caught up here. Within a year, I'm probably going to have to have eye surgery for cataracts because I'm having to print everything out in large print so I can read it. And my wife has often busted me about how disorganized I am and I just told her well honey that's the way my brain works Revelation 2 to the angel of the church at Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands I know your works your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you, ha- what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the angel of the church at Pergamum write, the words of him who was, who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has the eyes like a flame and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love for faith, love and faith and service and patience and endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her will I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay hold on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots are broken in pieces even as myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches
to save a little time. A little passing. If you've got a good study Bible, you've probably already seen one of these charts in your notes. This is just a chart of the seven churches. We've just read through the first four, I believe. Whenever we look at a chart like this, it's sometimes helpful just to kind of set this stuff out. It kind of keeps our minds in an orderly fashion, and that's something I need. But we look at the church of Ephesus, how it rejected evil and perverseness. Its criticism was love for Christ was no longer fervent. And it's instruction, do the works that you did at first. The promise of the tree of life. To the church at Smyrna, they were graceful in bearing up and suffering. There was no criticism for them. They were challenged to be faithful until death, and they were promised the crown of life. At Pergamos, they were commended for being keeping the faith of Christ, but they were criticized because they tolerated it idolatry, immorality, and heresies. They were called to repent. And if they had repented, they were promised hidden manna and a stone with a, new, with a new name, typographical error, a stone with a new name that only the Lord knew. The church at Thyatira, they were commended for love, service, faith, patience that was greater than at the first there was some maturity in that church, but yet there was some criticism. They too had tolerated a cult of idolatry and immorality. Instruction, keep the faith, and a warning that judgment was coming. And if they too would repent, they would rule over nations and receive the morning star. In chapter 3, Sardis is commended for some have kept the faith in that church but they were criticized because they were considered a dead church they were called to repent and strengthen what remains the promise that the faithful would be honored and dressed in white robes Philadelphia was commended for because they persevered in the faith, the word of Christ honors his name. There was no criticism for that church. They were challenged to keep the faith, and they were promised a place in God's presence, a new name, and a new Jerusalem. The church at Laodicea, you should be familiar with this when you've probably heard some sermons about this one, that there was no commendation. There's nothing good God would say about them. 
Their criticism was that they were indifferent. The Lord said to them that you are neither hot nor cold, and since you are neither hot nor cold, O King James, I will spew you out of my mouth. They made the Lord sick. Now challenge, be zealous, and repent. Share Christ, and they would, if they did so, they would share Christ's throne. Now as we look at this and we look back at what the first challenges the Lord had given to John were, why he had come. come to to communicate you to things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will come to pass. The things that have been, and the things that are, and the things that will come to pass. There have been so many people who have read through the first three chapters of Revelation, and okay, this is just academia here. This doesn't apply to us at all. But if you look at what is before us, these seven churches, the Lord himself came to John giving a message to these seven churches, the things that have been, this is what you did well. This is how you begin. The things that are, here's where you are failing. The things that shall come to pass. Repent or suffer the consequences. Does that make sense? We as congregations, we as churches need to see that, I like what you said last week, that these seven churches represent all of the churches throughout all history. It was specifically written for them then, but is also representative of every church. Because every church, in some form or fashion, suffers from some of the criticisms in here even countryside. <laughs> no, it never was. What is, that's our, that's not a divinely inspired term. That's, that's, that's man's cute little humor. And it's meant to be, come up from a Baptist to be criticism of us. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, you can apply this to people too, to individual believers. But if we were to look at this and if we were to call a prayer meeting and people in our church started looking at this where would we look like any one of these churches and where for commendation? What are we doing well and where would we we be criticized if the Lord were come to come and tell us today? We started well. What are we like now? What do we need to prepare for for what the Lord has in the future? These first 
three chapters of Revelation written to specific churches are supposed to we use a crude term put a fire under their tails to get them repent to rejuvenate them to refresh them to remind them of what they once were in order that they might return I like also like what Harry Reader calls talks about this to remember repent and recover remember from where remember where you were um I just read it a while ago and almost made a comment for it then. Remember where you were, repent of your failings and recover. Do the things that you once did. Recover the losses that that you've experienced. Recover the things that you used to do. Uh, it's it's a very simple formula, but that's what's going on here to these seven churches, and I think it needs to be preached to every church in the world today. If we are humble and we recognize that the depra- our depravity is always a risk of coming back and cropping back up on us, yeah. But there, I, I, I have been bewildered these past few years over what's been going on in our previous denomination. Liberal theologians secretly took control of the Presbyterian Church in America. And I, I, I wonder why in the world they had such a long-range goal. Why would they even want to do this? But they were very organized. They were very strategic. And no one knew what was going on until it was too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And if we were hearing a letter from the Bible today or the Bible group today or this group of people, Well, you start dismantling Genesis 1 through 6, and especially about the creation of man and his identity as he is created, both man and woman. If, if that's gone, we have no argument against LGBTQIA2 group. Yeah, LMNOP. 
I mean, that's just gone. We have no defense of marriage because if God, God didn't ordain it, create it, then it doesn't matter. That's insanity. <laughs> I never saw that, but that's that's a good point. of what the scientists say they can prove and the scientists cannot prove anything they are taking they're looking at the same evidence the creationist looks at and interpreting it a different way I am so very thankful for answers in Genesis and the scholars they have behind their teaching and their seminars they look at the science and say this is what it really tells us and it's great but scientists say, oh, no, no, that's, there is no evidence of macroevolution, which is necessary for evolution. There is no evidence for long age. If you stop and think about this, their idea, their concept of a single amoeba developed all the way through billions of years to all of the complex organisms we have today. Plant life and animal life from single amoeba. It takes too much faith to believe it. It'll turn to rust. <laughs> but if you, if you consider just plant life, which, which came first, and how did it propagate? Was it all wind? When did the bees come into play? When did the butterflies come into play? When did the pollinators start working on? Was it before? Or how did it all happen? It, life is too complex for evolution to give any answers to it. Everything was created by God for His glory, by His design. We, yeah. Any other questions? There might be a few more comments next week from the first three chapters, but mostly next week we'll get into the throne room of God and the seven seals. And uh, we'll start looking at the forms of God's judgment throughout Revelation. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for this evening together. Thank you for what we learned here. We ask that you might help us digest this. There's a lot to take in, and each one of us can meditate on these scriptures this week and see the light that is there. Once again, Lord, may we ask that you remove the mystery. Help us to settle on some understanding of what is here because it was promised to help other churches so long ago. May it also help us. May it encourage us. May it teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.